Welcome to Marx's Voice, bringing you ideas and analysis from Socialist Appeal, the Marxist voice of labour and youth. For regular updates, subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.socialist.net where you can donate and subscribe to our paper online and help support us in the struggle for socialism. Okay, thanks for that introduction, Nye, and yeah, thanks to everyone else. Um, I think it's been a great uh, conference so far, um, and uh, yeah, we'll start with the, the final session. Um, so I'm talking about leadership, and revolutions are something that take place all the time throughout history, with or without Marxists. You know, right-wingers will often say things such as, don't trust Marxists because they want to create a revolution or you often see online from, you know, people such as Trump that, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, they're plotting and they're planning the revolution and you shouldn't trust them because, you know, we're going to wake up tomorrow and the BBC will have announced the revolution, you know, things of, of this nature. But the truth is, of course, it's really not that simple. You cannot plan a revolution certainly not in the way that they describe and if it was that simple then I can assure you we probably would have had a revolution already us and the many Marxists and revolutionaries that have come before us but clearly we have not had a socialist revolution in Britain yet but we have seen many revolutions take place throughout history all over the world Many people will be familiar with the French Revolution, the American Revolution, but these are definitely presented as far off things that happened in the past, back when things needed to change. And so those specific revolutions are of course justified. It's a funny trick of history that post-revolution, everyone can trace clearly all the events that have led up to it. But before revolutions take place, most people would argue that this is simply the natural order of things and there's nothing we can do to change it. I'd say one aspect of bourgeois propaganda is to highlight in particular these bourgeois revolutions, the ones I just mentioned, the French and American, which more or less christened the bourgeois class as the, as the powerful um, class in society, the powerful force in society. But they often play down the revolutions that have happened since then revolutions that have involved the working class. Now, revolutions aren't episodes that are subject to only a certain part of history, such as the 1800s. Revolutions happen, revolutions have happened throughout the entirety of class society. In fact, revolutions are the motor force for the development of society and progress. But again, that does not mean that we haven't seen any revolutions since the dawn of capitalism. We have. The Communist Manifesto even says that what the bourgeoisie therefore produces above all are its own grave diggers, that is the working class. Marx explains that the working class is the revolutionary class in society because of its role in production. In particular, capitalism makes revolution inevitable because of the irreconcilable antagonism between the capitalist class and the working class. The wealth of the former is made at the expense of the latter. This is fundamental to capitalism and cannot be reformed away. It creates an intolerable situation which sooner or later 
forces the working class down the path of revolution in order to solve its problems. So since the dawn of capitalism, we have seen countless revolutions, serious episodes in which the working class has entered the stage of history in an attempt to take control of its own destiny. So first, we must understand that revolution is not a thing of the past. It is a part of not only recent history, but also modern day. If we look at the state of the world today, or even just the state of Britain, it seems clear to me that the contradictions of capitalism are fast becoming completely unsustainable. There's a burning anger in society, especially amongst young people. And this is the combustible material that can build up and ignite in a revolutionary conflagration. Now, this isn't some abstract distant perspective either. Our lifetime will see revolutionary movements which have the potential to end capitalism and class society forever. However, and this is the most important aspect, most revolutions do not realize this potential and are not successful. Out of all the revolutions that have taken place, most fail to fundamentally uproot the capitalist system. For example, last month, January, we spoke about this a bit this morning in the World Perspectives discussion. We've been celebrating 10 years on since the Egyptian revolution. Now this was a powerful revolution with insurmountable courage and dedication from the working class in Egypt. However, it did not solve the problems of Egypt. It removed a figurehead, yes, a leader who was hated and despised, but the revolution did not change the position of the working class and peasantry in society. And there are plenty of other revolutions we could look at as examples that follow this outline as well. However, one revolution that was successful, that did change everything, including the world, was of course the Russian revolution. And why is that the case? Were the Russian workers simply more heroic or more determined than workers before or after them? And the answer to that is no, not at all. The difference of the Russian revolution in comparison to the Egyptian, in comparison to the Sudanese revolution we saw last year, or of May 68 in France or anywhere else, the main difference is that they had the Bolsheviks. They had an organized revolutionary party that won the support of the working class through the Soviets and that was able to come to power and begin the construction of a socialist society. This is why we call the Russian Revolution one of, if not the greatest events in human history. It was the first time that the working class seized power and this is because of the Bolsheviks. So that is the most important lesson of history that we must absorb today in order to build what is necessary to continue this work, which was the quest not for socialism in one country, but international socialism. And that is a task that stands before us all today. So what did the Bolsheviks do? The forces of Russian Marxism started out extremely small, but they remained resolute and set to work the creation of a CADA organization which emphasized study and discussion to establish a core of well-educated and committed Marxists within the labor movement. Discussion groups were established amongst workers in the factories. You had copies of Marx's Capital, which got through the Tsarist censors, but the only reason they got through was because they thought that no one could possibly understand it. And they was torn into chunks and passed around different groups of workers in order for them to read it. Leon Trotsky actually wrote in his autobiography about staying up all night, handwriting leaflets to deliver to the factories the next day with the ink still wet to spark up discussion with the workers. 
So the small forces of Marxism in Russia faced a barrage of political pressures against which Lenin in particular defended Marxist theory. In 1908, Lenin wrote a book against all the trendy academic, academic ideas that were claiming to be progressive or even an updated um, version of Marxism, but which in fact simply neutered Marxism and disconnected it from the class struggle. The book is called Materialism and Imperial Criticism and has just been republished by Well Read. On the face of it, perhaps it seems odd that in 1908, just three years after a huge revolutionary movement in Russia in 1905, in a period of great persecution for the Russian revolutionaries as well, Lenin decides to write a book on Marxist philosophy. Certainly there are people active on the left today who would be outraged by this, people who insist that theory is a waste of time and that only action is necessary. But in reality, Lenin understood that without revolutionary theory, there can be no revolutionary movement. The prerequisite for establishing a strong foundation for Russian Marxism was a serious approach to Marxist theory. And Lenin explained this as early as 1901 in his text, What is to be done? At that time, there was pressure to focus on exclusively bread and butter economic issues, rather than discussing politics or theoretical questions that were considered too difficult or abstract for workers to understand. Now the Marxists fought against this tendency known as economism, which is in fact a slur and a prejudice against working class people and emphasized the importance of theoretical training for working class militants and the need to combine both economic and political struggle. So firm theoretical training for Marxists was required to combat the economism or the tendencies to compromise or accommodate with liberalism in Russia. But flowing from that was the need for corresponding firmness of organization for the Bolshevik party. The Mensheviks had a vague and loose attitude towards their political ideas and a correspondingly loose attitude to membership and organization. They allowed in fellow travelers and vague sympathizers to their ranks who were not really committed to socialist revolution. They were dilettantes who in some cases were closer to liberals than they were socialists. The Bolsheviks, on the other hand, stood firm on the need for socialist revolution and their ranks were correspondingly firm. They were a tight, disciplined and well-organized party, which functioned as a well-oiled machine in carrying the ideas of Marxism into the working class struggle. They were, as Lenin described them, professional revolutionaries for whom the socialist revolution was their life's work. Of course, the organizational discipline of underground work also provided the Marxist network with the agility and dynamism required to grow from 8,000 cadres at the beginning of 1917 to 250,000 members by October. With disciplined and well-organized forces, the Bolsheviks were able to participate in ever-growing numbers in mass, in mass demonstrations, in the trade unions. They got deputies elected to the bourgeois parliament and they gradually built up their influence in the Soviets until they had won the majority. They took their ideas into the factories and the barracks and patiently won a growing layer of workers to the banner of Marxism. And they used their growing forces to inject the class struggle with socialist ideas. So 15 years after Lenin laid out his conception for what kind of organization was required, the Bolsheviks had succeeded in establishing roots amongst the working class and in the course of 1917, won the masses the program of the socialist transformation of society. 
So it was the combination of building up Marxist theory and participating in the labor movement that ensured the Bolsheviks' success. And we can and must apply that to today. It should be clear from the history of the Bolshevik party that the development of the Revolutionary Party is a complex process that goes through different stages and takes shape over a number of years and even decades. So not only do we recognize the need for the Revolutionary Party, but that you cannot form a revolutionary cadre organization during the revolution or in the heat of the movement. That is unfortunately far too late. An instructive episode on this point is Germany from 1918 all the way to 1933, which was one of the most tumultuous periods in history. Following the revolution in Russia, the German workers and soldiers attempted to seize power in November 2000, in 2000? <laughs> November 1918. Unfortunately, the revolution was betrayed by the social democratic leaders. The masses had held in their powers the masses held in their hands, sorry, the power to transform society, to end capitalism once and for all, but they lacked a revolutionary leadership that could guide them in this task. The councils, effectively Soviets, handed power to the workers' traditional leaders, which were the Social Democrats. Now, the Social Democratic leaders had no intention of breaking with capitalism. In fact, they allied with the worst elements of the old order, the reactionary generals, to disarm the movement of the masses. Further revolutionary convulsions rocked Germany from 1919 to 1923. But revolutionary opportunities were missed for a lack of a leading party of a caliber equivalent to the Bolsheviks. Now Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht were working on this, but they were assassinated. And so the revolution lost its best leadership. Luxembourg and Liebknecht saw the need to complete the revolution and try to build an alternative leadership in the Spartacist League and later as the Communist Party, the KPD. But whilst they attracted the most revolutionary and class conscious workers, the work was begun too late and there was no time to train a party able to skillfully combine a variety of tactics to win a majority in the working class. As such, the Young Party made a number of mistakes it was trying to learn lessons in a few months, which it had taken the Bolsheviks in Russia many, many years to absorb. The correct ideas and methods that were learnt by the cadres of the Bolshevik party in Russia took over 20 years of experience. The Young Communist Party in Germany did not have this time, having only emerged on the 30th of December in 1918, in the middle of the revolution. To explain this point that a revolutionary leadership cannot be improvised, we don't have to look 100 years back. Let us look at the Arab Spring, let us return to the Egyptian revolution, which has been mentioned many times today. In January in 2011, you had hundreds of thousands of Egyptians take to the streets in, in, in an unprecedented protest against the tyrannical regime of Hosni Mubarak. It had actually been inspired by the remarkable events just along the North African coastline in Tunisia over the previous month. 18 days of mass struggle led to the overthrow of the 29 year dictatorship that many had begun to feel might never end. Now this was a seismic blow struck against the Egyptian ruling class, which brought the entire state apparatus to its knees and tens of millions of workers and young people into political activity for the very first time. And the wave of revolution spread. It spread from Tunisia and Egypt across the Middle East 
from Libya to Syria, from Yemen to Bahrain, from Palestine to Lebanon, and to an Iraq still ravaged by imperialist war. That was the seeds of an international revolution spreading. Now, in the earlier phase of a revolution, spontaneity is a force that gives the movement a massive advantage. Spontaneity is inevitable. Revolutions don't proceed according to a blueprint. Spontaneity gives an insurrection an unpredictable character, thus making it harder for the ruling class to repress it directly. Spontaneity also gives the widest arena and room for the political creativity of millions of people that were never expressed previously. Spontaneity destroys all the old routines that have been chaining people, chaining the people in their daily life, routine in action, but also in thought. That is filled with contradictions and thus lives, because revolution throws millions of people who have previously been marginalized from politics directly into the political arena. These millions of ordinary people not only bring their revolutionary instincts and energies, but also a lot of naivety, confusion and prejudices. This is why an organized leadership that then seeks to win the support of the working class is essential. The role of a Marxist leadership is to overcome those contradictions and unite the working class around a program which can solve the fundamental problems which provoked the revolution in the first place. Unfortunately, such a party was not present in the Arab revolutions 10 years ago, but that is exactly what the Bolsheviks were able to achieve by comparison. Once Lenin understood the necessity of the party, he dedicated all of his efforts into forming it. Whilst in exile, Lenin concentrated a lot of his efforts around the establishment of a Marxist newspaper, Iskra, which means the spark. By this means, Iskra was to establish Marxism as the dominant force on the left, and it was smuggled back into Russia and served to unite the circles into a unified national party on solid political and theoretical foundations. Now, Lenin was a genius of Marxism, undoubtedly a theoretician, but he was also strongly connected with the working class and sought to understand the mood of the class at all times. He stood with the class rather than above or beside it. And that is what the Bolsheviks, and that is why, sorry, the Bolsheviks were then able to use, utilize their position. It was on that solid theoretical basis with the perspective of sinking roots into the working class that Lenin built the Bolshevik party. Now, compare that to the most well-known so-called Marxists that we have today, the academics, people like Zizek and even David Harvey, all of these people, despite us living through the deepest economic and political crisis in all of capitalism's history, these people are pessimists and they see no future outside of capitalism. They don't believe the revolution will happen and they certainly have no perspective of building any kind of party to overthrow it. The truth is they couldn't be further from Marxism, which is not some dry academic theory confined to university seminar rooms, and which helps to sell books. Marxist ideas are living ideas connected to the workplaces and the neighborhoods, and they are the foundation for a revolutionary party. We are facing revolutionary events in our lifetime. This morning's session on World Perspectives showed that. So the question for us is, what are we going to do about that? Are we going to just sit back and wait to see what happens? Are we going to comment on it from the sidelines or write interesting academic papers about it? Or are we going to intervene in the events that are to come?
Are we going to do what we can to make sure these revolutions are successful, that they actually solve the problems which gave rise to them in the first place? That is to solve the fundamental contradictions of the capitalist system and bring about a new socialist society. If that is what we want to do, then we have to get ready. That's the lesson of the Bolsheviks and the Russian Revolution. We need to train ourselves now in Marxist political theory and improve our ability to explain these ideas in a non-academic language that everyone can understand to as many people as possible. And we need to get organized and stuck into the class struggle in the Labour Party, in the unions, in our workplaces, in our universities and in our schools. And we need to convince people our ideas and connect the struggle of working class people to the fight for socialism. That's what Marxist means when we talk about leadership. We need to build the organisation that can provide it. That's the work of the Marxist Student Federation, Socialist Appeal and the International Marxist Tendency. So if you want to change the world through the power of the working class and Marxist ideas, then let's get to work. There's no time to lose. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Marx's Voice. You can subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, or any major podcast provider, or visit our website at www.socialist.net. And if you're able to, please donate or subscribe online and help support us in the struggle for socialism.